Well, good morning, Mission Church. Uh, my name is Jeff. I'm uh, one of the pastors, a young adult pastor here. And Pastor Gordon actually today is um, with a group of men from our church on a fishing trip. Um, so we pray that they would be safe. And uh, if, you're, if you're smart like me, you'll pray that he'll have a lot of fish to, to bring back and then invite us to dinner. So that is, that is the hope. But today we're going to be looking at a, a scripture in First uh, Thessalonians chapter one, um, but before we get there, um, let me just let me just pray, and then uh, yeah, let's just start there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much because you are good, you are faithful, and just being reminded, Lord, through partaking in communion of these sacraments, bread and the cup, Lord, of your sacrifice for us out of love. Thank you, Lord, that we can gather together that we can open up your word, that we can be encouraged, we can be challenged. I just ask that these words would be, would be your words, your words of truth, that they would penetrate into the depths of our heart, change, transform us, Lord, more into your likeness. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, so before we read, I'd like you to imagine, let's get, let's get the um, picture here. But I'd like you to imagine uh, that you are first century citizen of the ancient city of Thessalonica. It's a beautiful sea, uh, beautiful city right on the Aegean Sea. It's temperate, warm climate, beautiful beaches, much like San Diego. Um, but, it, but at this time, it's a thriving trade center, booming business, entertainment, plenty of money. But it's also replete with, with gods and goddesses, Egyptian gods, Greco-Roman gods, Zeus, and all of his friends, in the middle of the city, there, there's a temple to Caesar, the emperor of Rome. And, and you're required to regularly go and pledge your allegiance to Caesar and to the empire. And idolatry was just, was just woven into your everyday life. It wasn't like today when we compartmentalize our life, right? We have, you know, our spiritual life and our work life and our family life. And in the ancient world, it was all mashed together. Business was done in the temples, right? If you had to do a, make a business deal, you go to the temple, you talk it out, you make a sacrifice to your God of choice. You shook hands in front of the gods in, uh, for them to bless your, your deal, your business. If you're on a business trip, maybe, the first thing that you go as you arrive a city is go to the temple. You make a sacrifice uh, for, for that God to keep you safe and to bless your business. If you wanted to start a family, you, you visit the, the temple of Aphrodite and, and the goddess of fertility and sexuality and love and, and, and you would pray and offer a sacrifice. If you were sick, the temple of Asclepius, god of modern medicine, right? We, we, ha- we still have the staff uh, that we relate to hospitals. Um, but that, that's how life was done in the ancient world. Idolatry was just part of your daily life, your daily bread. But when you read Greek mythology, you realize that these gods, they're, they're not the kindest beings, aren't they? They're volatile, capricious, they were jealous, violent at times, insecure. So people, people live with, with fear of them. They're always on edge, um, always trying to appease the gods. But, but one day, 
uh, three men show up in, in your city, and it's a small enough town where, you know, someone comes with a new idea or, 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 or speaking something different, you know, word gets around pretty quickly. But, but one of them is a Jewish rabbi who had become a follower of Jesus. His name was Paul. And he had uh, two friends with him, uh, Silas and Timothy. And they're telling this story about the world that is radically different from, from the one that you grew up with, the one that you believed. And they, and they say, over all these gods that you have here, there is one creator God. And he stands uh, uh, over all of creation. He has no equal. And he is the God who, who created everything that exists. And, and all the other gods, they're a sham. They're just imposters. But this one true God, He's good. And He's marked by love. His love is actually so fierce that He, he became a human being. His name was Jesus. Just a few decades ago. In an obscure corner of the empire. In an oppressed nation. And, and there He lived. And He died. But He actually rose from the dead again. And with that, he brought salvation and a new way of life for the whole world. And, and you listen to their message and something begins to, to draw you to it. You, you are drawn to these, these three men. Something begins to happen in you. You sense something at work inside of you. And you, you suddenly realize that you, man, you actually believe this stuff. That you believe that he is this one, that there is this one true God and that his, his son Jesus is actually the world's true Lord. Not Zeus, not, not Caesar, but Jesus. And, and you, you abandon your idols and your gods and your goddesses and you begin to worship this one true God. And like Paul and his friends, you also become a follower of Jesus. But this creates all sorts of problems for you. Maybe you lose your job because of this. You go from prosperity to financial downfall. Politically, it was treason. Since you're no longer pledging allegiance to Rome or, or, to, or, or to Caesar, it's, it's incredibly dangerous to do this. Worst of all, maybe your family and your friends want nothing to do with you because now you're radioactive. You're cut off, ostracized, ridiculed even. Paul and his friends, they're eventually driven out of town. There, there's a mob of angry people who start a riot in the city looking for them. So they had to hide in a fellow believer's house and then leave, escape during the night, the, the, the darkness of night. You can read Acts 17, a little bit more of that story. But although they had left, you are not left alone. You have become part of this brand new family. This motley crew of people from all walks of life, but, they, but all of them say, man, I'm with you. I believe that Jesus is Lord too. We're in this together. And you begin to gather regularly to worship, to study the scriptures, to support one another, to pray with each other. And in spite of all of this, this hardship and suffering that you're experiencing, something even more mysterious begins to happen. You, you find yourself filled with joy and when, with peace more than you had ever experienced, more than you had ever thought possible. And one day, 
as you're gathered with this little church community in your city, you receive a letter from some very familiar people. And it's read out to the whole congregation there. And it says this, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God, our Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Did you hear that? Verse 7 says, And you became a model to all the believers. This little Jesus community here had to become a model church. The kind of church that others would look to and say, man, have you heard, have you seen what God is up to in Thessalonica? See, the thing is that Paul writes this letter to them only about a year after having been there to plant this church. A year before, a lot of these people were in Susa's temple. They hadn't even, even heard of Jesus of Nazareth. Now they are a model church that people are talking about for hundreds of miles away. How did this happen? Well, let's, uh, let's backtrack a bit and, and break, this, break, break this letter down. Um, starting in verse 4, and the way I'll do it, I'll read a little bit, and then I'll talk a little bit, read a little bit, talk a little bit. So just stay with me. Verse 4. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. This doesn't mean much to us now. Um, it, it still means a lot. We, we sometimes just skip over it. But this church is likely made up of Gentiles, mostly Gentiles. So the fact that Paul is using this language of being chosen by God, that's, that's very interesting. The Jewish people, those are the people chosen by God. But now Paul is saying all of you are chosen by God, which is really good news, at least it is for me, and I, and I think probably for most of you, because most of you are Gentiles. Verse 5, because our gospel came to you, the gospel is the good news of God's work in Jesus, right? Through Jesus' life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, we who were once far away from God are now able to have life with him. But it's also a deeply provocative message because it claims that Jesus is the true Lord and King. 
not Caesar, not Zeus. The gospel says that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is at work in our lives, in our church, in our world, and He's healing and He's transforming everything. And it also, it also claims that one day Jesus will return. He will restore and make all things new. And He will reign over all of His creation for all eternity. That is the gospel. In a nutshell, but it's the gospel. But, it, but, but you continue reading here. Not simply with words, but also with power, the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. So not just empty rhetoric, right? Which we all know very well what that looks like. But with power. When, the, when we read the Gospels, when we read the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit at work in Jesus, in, in His followers, in the church. We read of miracles, we read of signs and healings and people being delivered from evil spirits. We, we even see some being raised from the dead. But also the Spirit's deep conviction. People that were experiencing the Holy Spirit at a deep soul level. They were choosing to do life entirely different. Leaving behind their idols, their old ways of life their pride and their selfishness, because that's what the Holy Spirit does in us. We just came out of this series on Pentecost for the last two Sundays, and Pastor, Pastor Gordon talked about, I encourage you to go back and listen to the last two weeks if you have it, um, I was talking about how the Holy Spirit empowers us to, to fully love God and love others and be transformed by this love and see others being transformed by God's love as well. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We continue reading. Verse 5. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. So the Thessalonians, they saw the life of Paul and of his friends. They, were, they saw how they were living um, just like this, this Jesus that they were preaching. The way they carried themselves, the ways that they were just filled with peace with joy, the way that they treated other people, the way that they prayed, the way that they served the poor, the way that they lived holy and set apart lives for God. They were drawn to them. They learned from them. They began to imitate them. And in doing so, to imitate Jesus. They devoted themselves to this long and sometimes very difficult path of transformation. Because we know, especially those of you who have been following Jesus for a while, it's a lifelong journey. It doesn't just happen like that. I mean, the Holy Spirit can do anything, but, but it's usually a lifelong, intentional pursuit um, into this life that Jesus calls us into. Verse 6, For you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering. So in this context, it wasn't just illness or the troubles of life, which I'm sure they had plenty of, just like us. But actual persecution. We don't know exactly if it was violent or not, but judging by the way that Paul and his friends were treated, probably it was violent. They were experiencing some sort of severe suffering. But listen to this. You welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. 
wait, so how does that even happen, right? They started to follow Jesus, and for most of them, life got harder, not easier, which makes sense. Nobody follows Jesus for their life to become easier, right? Or if you do, you, you soon realize that that's just not the case. I mean, we follow a guy who is basically homeless, rejected by his own people, hated by the religious establishment, hung on a cross to die like a criminal. It makes sense that following Jesus is not going to be an easy task that actually causes more hardship. Maybe not so much for us in San Diego, but man, if you live in other places like North Korea or Afghanistan or Syria, to follow Jesus, you are signing up for suffering for rejection, for persecution even. And for many of these Thessalonians, their whole life was flipped upside down because they were following Jesus. They lost their jobs again, right? Maybe they lost friends and family, disowned them. No one wanted to do business with them. They were ridiculed, persecuted. But at the same time, it says that they had this true joy, fulfillment, more than they ever thought possible. The thing is that when people can suffer and at the same time have joy, that's an amazing witness. Because nothing else can produce that kind of joy except the Holy Spirit. I mean, maybe you're in a time of suffering. Maybe you've lost friends or or relationships with family because of your decision to follow Jesus. Maybe your life is just hard right now because... Our, our whole world is hard right now. This year and a, last year and a half has, been, has brought unprecedented hardship for, for so many of us. But if, but if you're filled with that Holy Spirit, there is joy that is available to you, even in the midst of suffering. And it doesn't mean that you'll just be happy all the time. I mean, Jesus wasn't just happy all the time, was he? doesn't mean that we don't feel and mourn loss and pain and suffering. But it does mean that our our joy is not based on externals. It's not based on our circumstances or our emotions. Our joy is grounded in the truth of who God is, of who you are in Him, and in the hope that He is at work in making all things new again. When you can live that way, when you can have joy in the midst of severe suffering, that's incredible witness to the world, to your family, to your friends, to everyone around you. Verse 7, And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. So it says, ring out like this loud noise that just rings out all over. Can you imagine all of San Diego and Tijuana and, and Orange County and L.A., everywhere people are talking about you, amazed by you, how you're faithfully following Jesus, how you're actually living out this gospel, how you're filled with the Holy Spirit, how you're living in community, how you're serving the city around you, a model church for everyone around. Can you imagine that? What, what can mission learn from the Thessalonians? Well, we've already talked about a few of those things, right? Receiving and living out the gospel, being empowered by the Holy Spirit, 
turning away from our idols, because we all got them. Practicing joy, living life like Jesus, imitating Him. But let's backtrack even a little bit more. And notice, notice how Paul remembers the Thessalonians. Let's start in verse 2. As he greets them, he says, We always thank God for you, and we continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a trio of words used many times by Paul. It's hung up on every Christian mom's kitchen or living room. Faith, love, hope. Right? You, you know. It's somewhere in your house. It's your, it's the Christian equivalent of live, laugh, love. Right. So, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, the one you probably heard at the last wedding you were at. Um, it ends like this. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. But, but the interesting thing is that when he writes to the Thessalonians, Paul joins these three words that he really loves um, with three other words. Faith with work, love with labor, and hope with endurance. Being a, a so, so we'll look at each of these, but being a healthy, thriving church community, it doesn't just happen. It takes work. Right? Yes, it is, it is through the power of the Holy Spirit, but it takes commitment. It takes people willing to put in the work. Not just the pastor, not just the staff, not just the board or ministry leaders, but every single member of the community, of the family. When you're part of a family, you share in the work. Right? But you also enjoy the benefits of being part of the family. The people who get the most out of being part of a church are those who commit, those who invest, those who give of themselves the most. And it's because of our faith, because we believe about what we believe about who God is and what He's up to in and through the church, that we are willing to work hard, that we are willing to be a part of it. So work that's produced by faith. But also labor prompted by love. Labor is when, when work gets hard and heavy, sometimes messy and difficult. But you're willing to labor through the hardship for what you love, right? I mean, we do it all the time for your family, for your marriage, for your kids, for your mom, your dad, for your closest friends. When there's a crisis, when there's illness, when there's broken relationships, when there's hard work that needs to be done, you don't just pick up and leave. You don't abandon ship, right? You don't just wait around for someone else to do it. You do everything that you can if, if, if love is your driving force. You, you do everything possible to make sure that those people that you love, your family, your community is well. That's why our labor must be out of love and not out of obligation or, or guilt or people-pleasing. Because that's not enough to keep us keeping on. Which leads us to endurance, endurance inspired by hope 
in our Lord Jesus Christ. Endurance, endurance, steadfastness. I won't give up no matter whatness. Because there is hope. And this is not just blind optimism, hoping that everything is going to turn out okay. Hope in Jesus Christ, the one who endured all things for our sake. He is the head of the church. And he promised us that even the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. Jesus, who is at work, who is making all things new. Jesus Christ is our hope. And that is why we endure. That is why we don't give up. That is why we keep on keeping on with our eyes set on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. And you know what, Mission Church? I think there's a lot for us here to take in, a lot for us to, to learn and to, and to grow. But I, but I think in many ways, this is you. You are this kind of church. Not perfect. The church in Thessalonica wasn't perfect by any means. But you're a church full of people who work hard. Many of you are here. Many, many of you who have come, many of, many who have come and gone. Um, but week in and week out and month in and, and year after year, just giving and giving so much of yourself, serving our kids in the caravans, our teens, supporting those who are hurting in our community, giving to help the poor, giving and serving with ministries in our city and around the world. And I know you do it because you believe in the work of the church. And you've experienced the goodness of God here. You've experienced the goodness of His people here. And you continue to work hard and give of yourself. And I know that, that you've also gone through some really difficult times. We've all have together. Times of suffering and loss. Times of hard toil and labor. But your love, your love for this church has kept you here. Showing up. Leaning in to the messiness and the hardship. Having difficult conversations at times. But praying desperately for God to, to move, to heal, to restore relationships, to bring unity to this church. Because you love this church. Because you love this community. that You love this family. And you love Jesus, who is the Lord and head of Mission Church. Lastly, you've, you've endured with hope. You haven't given up. You've placed your hope not on externals, not on you know, personal preferences, not on the pastor, not on the staff, not on what kind of music we play, not even if everyone agrees on all things, because that's not going to happen. But you've endured because your hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of the world, the King of your life. The king of this church. So well done, Mission Church. My hope is that we would be as much encouraged as we are challenged by this word. I'm excited to start this new, this new series next week. Our story. Where we'll be hearing from many of you. Many of your stories about how this church has been a home. Has been a, a family 
has been a, a place of healing maybe for you, maybe of transformation, of growth, a blessing. But also to be reminded, and for some of us to, to learn what it means to be part of a church. What it means to work, to labor, to endure. A church with people empowered by the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus together. A church whose hard work is produced by faith, labor is prompted by love, and who endures because our hope is in our Lord, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that we have this letter to the church in Thessalonica. We're encouraged by it. We're challenged by it. And we see you at work in their lives, but also in our own. In their church, but also in our own. We thank you for this church. We thank you that we are a part of it. And we thank you, Lord, for what you have in store as we place our hope in you, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us worship you once again.